Well, good morning. The text that I will be preaching out of this morning is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. And if you would stand out of respect for God's holy word as I read in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. And it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? to do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Here ends the reading. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would sanctify us in its truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, we've heard this story now, and I want you to pick up your kings and queens' crowns and put them on your head. And grab your scepter, and we are going to sit in judgment of this rich man, if you would join me on this. Now, this rich man had plenty of sheep, and there was a neighbor of his that had only one little ewe lamb, a pet. And, you know, in America, we really love our pets, don't we? I mean, people are very concerned about their animals, especially the ones that live in their homes or are the most dear to their hearts, we can really, I think, relate to this story and how tragic this is. 
And I don't take it lightly when it says that he loved this little ewe lamb like a daughter. I have three daughters, and I'll tell you, I love them fiercely. And so this made me wake up when I read this. But did this rich man have any need even for this poor man's ewe lamb? He didn't. He had plenty of his own. And I'll tell you that that poor man sure relied on it for, for care and love. He doted on that lamb, and it was very important to him. And there was a traveler that came by to this rich man, and it was customary in those days that if a traveler came by, you had to put them up in your home. And, and so this rich man was put in a place where he had a guest, maybe an unwanted guest that was traveling through, and he didn't think it was worth it to sacrifice one of his flock, even though he certainly could have. And he took this poor man's lamb, and he killed it. And he threw it on the table and served it to this guest that he didn't even want there. How would you feel if this was your pet, your most beloved animal that you have? I bet you would be furious at this point. So what is your verdict of this thieving lamb killer? Guilty, right? It's obvious, and I bet it's clear to you. And King David was furious, as I'm sure you might be as well as you think about this scenario. And David, King David, said, the man deserves to die. He deserves to die. King David was the one who judged these kind of situations normally, he would have all kinds of situations like this brought before him as the king. And he probably thought this was not any kind of parable, but an actual case that was being brought before him. And he gave his judgment over this situation as the king. And he knew the law. He knew what the just reward was. He knew that the proper death penalty for the theft of a sheep was fourfold repayment. But King David knew that this just even crossed the line of any simple sheep stealing. This was even more terrible because a rich man had stolen from a poor man and all of these other circumstances. And so he even heightened the guilt of this man and he said, this man deserves to die. And so the king had pronounced his verdict, guilty, deserving of death, and he must repay fourfold. And then all of a sudden, Nathan, the prophet who had come to him, turns the tables on King David, who had given his verdict of guilty, and he says, you, you are the man. You know, David, at this point, must be scrambling in his thoughts as he goes from furious anger towards this criminal to all of a sudden realizing, I'm the criminal. But he probably didn't have to even think very long about how he could possibly be guilty because, you know, he had done quite a lot. Even this King David, famous King David. You know, he had been blessed with everything. He had inherited Saul's kingdom. And all the blessings that come with it. He had plenty of opportunity for wives. 
and he took a number of wives. He didn't need another wife that belonged to some other man. He had all the richness that, that one could hope for, and yet he went and took somebody else's wife, a man who only had one wife, a poor man. He despised what was, uh, what was right. He despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight. First, he spied on Bathsheba, this woman, while she was bathing on her roof. He was in his palace. While the men were away at war, doing their jobs, he was sitting on his couch at home in his rich palace. And he went and looked over his balcony, and at first, he, it was probably just an accidental thing that he saw Bathsheba bathing. But he continued to look after her and lust after her, and he wanted to take her. And he did. He sent his men, and they took her, and he had an affair, and she became pregnant. And when King David realized that she was pregnant, he realized that this was a scandal, and he was going to be exposed for what he had done. And really, he probably couldn't have lost a lot except for his reputation, but he wanted to cover it up. And so he had her husband sent for. He was out in the battlefield serving the king and the nation, protecting the people. And he had this man brought in, and he small-talked with him, asked him about the war, and, and tried to pretend like nothing was the problem. And he had a sinister plan, a sneaky plan, and he sent this man Uriah home with a present and said, go enjoy your home and enjoy your wife. And and relax. But really, this supposed gift and favor of the king was really so that he could cover up his own sins because he hoped that Uriah would be with his wife. And then he would think that it was his child and he would not have any, any guilt before the people or any responsibility to take care of. Quite a cowardly act by King David. But you know what? This man, Uriah, this soldier, he was a man of integrity. And he had been out fighting for his country, and now he realized, I'm back in the king's palace. I don't know why I'm here getting the favor of the king, but he's telling me to go home and be comfortable with my wife while people are putting their life on the line. I'm not going to go home and live in the lap of luxury. I'm going to sleep right outside the king's gates on the steps with the other soldiers, even though his wife and his comfortable home were right next door. And so David's sneaky plan didn't work. And he said, well, let's keep Uriah around for a couple more days. And he invited him in, and essentially it looks like he forced him to get drunk so that he would do something foolish that he wouldn't normally do with, with his full strength. And David keeps trying to cover this up. And yet, even in that drunken state, Uriah will not give in. And David's plan continues to not work in covering up his sins. You know, he was very callous and cold in his heart as he continued to try to hurt this man and cover up his own sin. He was callous. In Jeremiah 6.15, it says, 
They were ashamed when they committed abomination. No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall, etc. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. They did not know how to blush. This was talking about some other people, but can you see this in King David? The King David was not feeling ashamed and repentant about this. He continued to go deeper and deeper into his sin, and he wasn't ashamed like he should have been. But God's word comes to convict the comfortable, to break apart the calloused heart, to make people blush, to condemn the guilty, to prick their conscience. It says in Ephesians 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God or of Christ and God. Let one deceive you, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. Think about how hard this word is against a sinner like David. It says that a sinner like David will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that God's wrath is against him. That's a hard word to hear, one that you would hope would cut through and, and break your rebellion. And it does. It does with David. But, you know, when we think about David's sin, we should also think about our own sin. When we hear a convicting word from God, we tend to think of someone else and their own struggles. Don't you think that we often say, when we hear something really convicting, wow, that's, that's really a hard word. I know somebody that needs to hear that. Isn't that one of the first things that crosses our mind? Oh, I wish somebody else was sitting here in this, in this uh, service hearing this hard word, when really it's given for us. There's a Mrs. J. Shields who tells this story in a small village in which there was only one church that almost every member of the community attended. One woman made life difficult, often by her constant prying into the affairs of her neighbors. One day when the rector of the church was trying to show the woman the harm she was doing, she said, oh, well, just prying into my neighbor's affairs isn't as bad as what Mrs. So-and-so is doing. She gets drunk. Madam, replied the rector, your sin is classified with murder and stealing in God's word. You know, it might be easy for us to write off David and, and this situation and say, I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't had an affair, or at least I haven't been caught right? But David's sin didn't even start out so big and obvious either. It started with him peering at Bathsheba and continuing to stare and lust after her in his heart. And Jesus says that hatred in your heart is equivalent to murder and lust in your heart is equivalent to adultery. And that should wake us up. That should prick our conscience 
as we think about our own thought life and what's going on in our own hearts. But, you know, we continue to struggle with deflecting these things, even when it's terribly obvious. I've been starting to do a little prison ministry out in California, where I've been serving on my internship. And one thing that you find out is that even in prisons, with lifers in there, and it's a place that has murderers and all sorts of criminals in there, even amongst the criminals, they think that there are some people amongst them who really are guilty and deserve what they're getting. And they don't want to admit it. And it's kind of a joke that, of course, everybody in here didn't do it, right? And we look down on other people, and yet what God's word is saying is that we ought to examine our own heart and our own life. So God is saying to you that you are the man. You are the one who deserves to be punished, not someone else, but you. Now, David, when he was standing there, having been exposed, David had been pointing the finger at someone else, and now Nathan turned that finger around and pointed it right back at David and said, it's you. And David is feeling crushed under the weight of this, recognizing that God has just pointed out his sin. And then he says in his brokenness, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan had said, you are the man. And now David is saying, I am the man. I am the man who deserves to die. You know, before this story of King David, there was another story of another king, King Saul, the first king. And King Saul, in a similar way, had fallen into sin. He knew God's law just like David. He was very well versed in, in God's word and God's standards. And God had been blessing him. He had been walking with the Lord. The Spirit had been with him. And Yet Saul fell into great sin, just like David. He was despising God's word and not following it, not applying it to his own life. He kept making exceptions, kept thinking he had a better way of doing things, not trusting the Lord and the way that he had set before him. And he got called on it by the prophet Samuel. And very similarly, King Saul said, I have sinned against the Lord. But listen to what he adds here. He says, I've sinned against the Lord, yet now honor me before the elders. Even in the midst of a supposed confession of his sins, he is is trying to fight for his own reputation. He's still protecting himself. And Saul goes on to shift the blame and say, well, God, it should have been this other way, as if he really knew better than God. And he kept deflecting and not being willing to let the word of God penetrate his heart and really break him. He was more worried about his position before men than he was his relationship with God. But David's response was quite different. You notice that he just says, I have sinned against the Lord, period. No more excuses. No more hiding his sins. He was now an open book before the Lord. He'd been exposed and he was crushed. 
in his sins. He confessed his sins openly and plainly after he had been exposed, after the finger of God had been pointed directly at him, and he was repentant. Now, when, when Nathan the prophet heard David's confession, he said, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, where did he put it? Where did the Lord put this sin that he supposedly put away? He had to put it somewhere, didn't he? I mean, think back to the very beginning of this as we're sitting in judgment of this rich man and we're furious and saying this man deserves justice, right? And a judge, a good judge, will not just say, well, it's okay, it's fine that you committed crimes, just, you can just go away, right? Something needs to happen. Justice needs to be served. And this sin, this very real sin, had to be dealt with. So where did God, the Lord, put it? You know, King David deserved to be punished. You deserve to be punished. The man deserves to die. And God put this sin somewhere, and we can find this in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, that God put this sin on his son. It says there, Surely he, this is the suffering servant that we later find out to be Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. Surely he has borne our griefs. Born, he took, he carried them and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The Lord had put away King David's sin, but they had to be dealt with. They had to go somewhere. Justice needed to be served. And God took them from David and put them on the suffering servant, his own son, Jesus. And so Jesus became the man. The man deserved to die, and I'm the man, and Jesus became the man, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. You know, David had killed a man and stolen his wife. He was the rich man who stole poor man's only sheep. So he took, right? And God gave. God gave his one and only son, just as this one and only lamb, this one and only wife had been taken. God gave his son. These other ones had lost a beloved one, and God gave his beloved one. Listen to these lyrics. God laid my sins on Jesus, his spotless holy lamb. Instead of me, God cursed him. Now full released I am. Upon his faultless lamb, God was pleased my faults to lay, that he for me should suffer my debt of sin to pay. Nathan had said, the Lord has put away your sins, you shall not die. And in response to this, David 
received God's blessing and his, his forgiveness in faith. You know, God is called, or David is called by God a man after God's own heart. And when we think about this account, this historical account, we can see that it's not because King David was better than us. In fact, in an earthly sense, he's probably worse than most of us, if not all of us, in the things that he's done before the eyes of men. David didn't earn the Lord's favor because of how good he was before the Lord. But he was righteous before God by repentance and faith. Because when the word of the Lord came directly and convicted his heart, he allowed himself to be broken under it and didn't keep making excuses or rebelling against it. But he was broken before the Lord. And then when the Lord said that his sin was put away, he believed it. And he rested in the Lord's forgiveness even though there would be many consequences to come from his sins in this life, he believed the word of the Lord. And so I want to say to you today that you are the one who deserves to die. You are the one who has sinned against the Lord. But also it is your sins that were put on Jesus when he died. And by his stripes, you are healed. And so now you are the one that Jesus loves. Let us pray. Lord God, it is so easy for us to shift blame to other people, to make excuses for our sins, to think that someone else is the one who really is at fault or, or that really needs to hear the convicting word. But I pray, Lord, that you would convict our hearts. Show us that it is us who needs you. Show us that we are sinful and and deserving of your wrath, but also do not ever let us forget that your son Jesus was given for our sins and that he died on the cross and that our sins are paid for. They are washed away. Lord, help us not to reject that gift of Jesus, his finished work on the cross, but to receive it in humility in repentance and in faith, trusting that we are righteous in your sight because of the work of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.